Good morning and a happy Father's Day to you, and I hope that you've had an opportunity, if your dad is still with you, to be able to express to him uh, how much you love him and uh, uh, let him off the hook for maybe some of the things that you don't love about him as well. Um, but our dads are very, very special and important, and if you had a dad who, uh, who just stayed, uh, a dad who stuck with you, uh, then you're blessed. And if you had a dad that led you to Jesus, you're doubly blessed. And so I uh, hope that you'll take some time to be thankful today and actually express that. Uh, but as many of you reflect on your fathers today, you're probably thinking of different things than your father, if he's still with you, is thinking. Um, you're reflecting on one thing and your father is reflecting on something else. Um, your fathers are probably wondering did I do enough? And did I do enough big things? Did I set them up financially? Did I set them up relationally? Did I do my best to give them the best life possible? Did I help them? Did I push them? Did I make sure they had everything? Did I take them to Disney World enough times? Did I make sure that they had all these memories along the way? But you are thinking more about those small moments along the way. Not the grand gestures of, hey, I love you, but just those small moments when after you lost a game or you missed a shot, they put their arm around you and said, you know I still love you, right? You know this doesn't change you and me. Or some difficult Sunday morning when you're sitting out like this in a service and you're just really feeling heavy about where your life is and your dad put his arm around you a little bit and looked at you and in essence said, I'm a man, so I don't have words, but <laughs> that's kind of, you know what that meant. That meant a lot more than most things you could hear. And those are those small things that you remember, not the grand gestures. And we often take that reality into our faith experience as well. And we Look at, okay, God wants to change the world through us. And there, there are these verses throughout the story that talk about me being the light of the world and God wanting to do these grand things. And I read through the story, though, and I find all these miracles and huge gestures and sacrifices and things being done that I can never do. So we look at this and think, well, if I can't do this, then I'm not going to do anything. If I can't go big, I'm going to go home. If I can't do the stuff that I feel like God wants me to do, then I'm just going to sit back and, and be still. And this week, we had vacation Bible school here at the bridge, and many of you were involved. You served, you sent your kids, or uh, you were a part in some way, and we're very, very thankful for that. And our theme, as you can tell around me, was making waves. And we did our best to encourage the kids to grasp the truth that all they've got to do is a, a small little act. Just start with a ripple and allow it to turn into a wave that ultimately will change lives around them. So they change the world by making waves. And it sounds great for vacation Bible school. It sounds great for kids. But I believe that is not just a kid thing. That's really what Jesus was doing when he went to the 12 that we now know as disciples and went to them one by one and said, I want you to follow me. We're going to change the world. We're going to make waves. We're going to do things that are going to have farther uh, reaching impacts than we ever dreamed possible. And you're going to reach people in places you never thought you could. And these waves that we're going to make are going to change the landscape of humanity. You want to be a part of that? And each of the 12 disciples said, absolutely. 
and they began to make the change from being good men to being godly men and figuring out what it is that they were believing and what they were staking their lives on, and God made waves with them and changed the world. And it went on for three years. They saw the lame walk. They saw the blind see. They saw the dead raised to life. They saw incredible miracles around them. They heard God speak some things through his son, Jesus, that completely turned the religious establishment upside down. Jesus explained things from hundreds of years earlier that they had never really understood before. Now they understood it in a light that made sense. They could apply it to their lives. He was blowing their minds every day, and they were making waves. Things were different. They went from a small group of a dozen people to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people talking throughout the community about this Messiah named Jesus. Then, when he was arrested and he was executed, they got really scared. Because from their perspective, their time of making waves was over. He was their purpose. He was their living hope, as we just saying. He was all of that. And when he was gone, so was their purpose, and so was their direction, and so was their aim. And their lives, their faith got really, really still. And even after they found out that he was alive, and even after a couple of times they saw this resurrected Jesus... It was still different. He wasn't with them the way he was with them before, and it was just a very different experience. And so for them, they were done. They literally just said, we're going fishing. Like, we're, we're done. And when a man says, I'm going fishing, that means I've got nothing else to do. I'm just going to go waste eight hours out here to do this. Now, not that it's not enjoyable, but you just go when you have nothing else to do. My son and I last week said, you know what? We need to go fishing. We haven't done that in a while. That was code for, we've got nothing going on next week. Well, let's just go fishing. There's nothing happening. And that's what happened with the disciples. They literally went to Disciples R Us at their little storefront and said, gone fishing. They put the sign up, and they were out. In John chapter 21, it says several of the disciples were there at the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but caught nothing all night. So several of the disciples, we don't know how many, but somewhere between 5 and 11, one of them was gone. Judas was gone, so there were just 11. But somewhere in there, these disciples got together. Peter said, you know what, guys? I don't know what else to do. Before I met Jesus, I fished. I met him and put all that on hold, and he asked me to become a fisher of man, and we've been trying to reach people and change lives by making these waves, and we've done that. Jesus is gone. I'm going to go back to doing what I did before. I'm going fishing. And the other disciples didn't have anything to do either. They said, well, we left everything to follow him, so we'll go too. So they grabbed their tackle, grabbed their gear. They went to their boat, got their nets ready, and they went out and fished. And it said they fished all night, but they caught nothing. So they're aimless. They're purposeless. They're pointless. They're seemingly in a hopeless kind of situation, kind of lost, really. And they're out there fishing. And I can only imagine how frustrated it must have been for Peter who was a professional fisherman before he met Jesus. And now he's not with Jesus anymore, so he said, I'm going to go back to fishing. He goes back and finds out he's not very good at it anymore. Like He's fishing all night. He's not catching anything. So the only thing he really knew prior to Jesus changing his life, now he's got to be questioning, can I even do that? So they fish all night. They don't catch anything at all. And in verse 4, it says, At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. 
he called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? Now, there is no question they wanted to hear less than, Fellows, have you caught any fish? Amen? You got anything? And all of us have had that experience before when things didn't go right. You leave the office to go try to close a deal. You come back in, your shoulders all the way down by your ankles, and they're going, hey, did it close? No, no, it didn't. Or on those Saturdays when you take your kid out with the blue and yellow and they run around playing soccer all day long here at Clarksville, you bring them back into the grocery store to get something on your way home, and they've got tears coming through their mud, and they're frustrated. And somebody stands there in the aisle and says, did you win? Like, you just look at them like, we just got over it. They just stopped crying, and you had to ask. Yeah. No, and it starts again. Like, we never want to hear that. When these fishermen went out, they caught nothing all night long, and now a stranger on the shore yells out, catch anything? And their reply was, nope. No, we didn't. But thanks for asking. I uh, appreciate the concern. appreciate the help. They said no. But look what he says next. And again, they don't know this is Jesus. He says, throw out your nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. Now, we know Peter, Simon Peter, is a little bit sarcastic. We know that from reading other parts of the gospel. So I can just imagine the eye roll and the, oh, right side of the boat. Why was it? We were fishing on the left. I, mean, I can just imagine all the dripping sarcasm and the, you have got to be kidding me. Because we all know, who are all the people in the world that can do your job better than you? Everybody who's watching. Like, that's always a theme. Whoever's watching you do your job can always do your job better than you. And you step back and go, why don't you see what you can do? Like, fine, go right ahead. There's always someone there. Well, it turned out, and Peter didn't realize it, that that person was Jesus. And he gave them some advice. He said, listen, I, I, I know you seem to be frustrated and discouraged, but you just need to fish on the other side. And many of you today are remembering those moments where your dad said, what if you just do this? And you rolled your eyes and said, Dad, listen, you don't understand. It's not 19-whatever anymore. Like, this is different now. We have all these ways of explaining things. And then now, in 2022, you're looking back going, eh, he kind of knew what he was talking about. And he probably was thinking this outcome might happen anyway. And what, I, I get it. Experience is a great teacher. But Jesus said, why don't you put it on the other side of the boat? And in verse 6, it says, so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fishes. Then the disciple Jesus loved, and that's another sermon earlier in the summer you can grab. Uh, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic. And I love this next line. You can highlight this for future. For he had stripped for work. Just let that sit just for a minute. Um, not only was he going to go back to fishing, he, anyway, stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed there, stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for there were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And there is a lot that happened there, but it only happened after they put their net on the other side of the boat. None of these things happen if they don't do that. 
They don't put their net on the other side of the boat. They don't carry, get all this weight of fish coming in. They don't have this miracle happen in front of them. They obviously don't recognize that it's Jesus on the shore. They don't get to shore. They don't have this meal with Jesus. And then ultimately some really significant conversations out of that. All of it begins with this small little gesture, this small moment where they're willing to say, okay, know it all, I'll do it. I don't really agree with this bit of advice. I'm a little frustrated. I'm not really in a spiritual, worshipful kind of place right here, but I'm going to go ahead and do this thing right here that you, stranger on the shore, are asking me to do. They put their nets on the other side of the boat, and that small act made all the difference. So I want us to go back to some of those verses and try to pull out what it was that resulted here. In other words, what was the result of this small act of just choosing to fish on the other side of the boat. One, they saw Jesus for who he was. When they stepped out and had this small act of faith that they expressed, they actually saw him for who he was. Jesus was on the shore the whole time. He actually was speaking to them, and they didn't realize that he was speaking to them. They didn't realize it was him. And then once they do this one small thing, Their eyes are open. There's this moment of revelation, and they actually recognize Jesus. They see him for who he truly is. And as we go through these four things, maybe quietly, you can just ask yourself, is this something I'm needing right now in my life? Like I've heard about him. I know other people hear his voice. I've even believed that he's real and he's alive. But I don't know that I've actually encountered him in this way. I feel like I might be hundreds of yards away in the boat, away from the shore, and I might be missing something right in front of me. And they would have too had they not expressed their faith in this small act. So they saw Jesus for who he was. They recognized him. The second thing that jumps out as we look at their response is that they saw themselves for who they could be. Once they were able to get an eye on Jesus and recognize him, then they were able to look at themselves. And what I mean by that is, notice who put his clothes on and jumped in the water and swam to shore. It was Peter. And if you go back into the first two and a half years or or more of Peter's time following Jesus, he was always the one with courage and boldness and stepping out, saying, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to do it anyway, ready, fire, aim, kind of that whole deal. He lived that way. And then... Jesus is arrested, he's taken away, and Peter becomes someone that he's not. He starts to hide. He even is afraid to admit that he knows who Jesus is. He's close, but he's at seeing him from a distance. He won't allow himself to associate with the rest of the disciples. He's hiding in the shadows. That's not Peter. And then after it's over with, he's still hiding out, and he's the one that says, I'm just going to go fishing, guys. I was called to be a fisher of men, and now I'm just going to hide by myself on a boat out in the water because I don't know what else to do. That wasn't Peter. But after this small little step was taken, he recognizes who Jesus is, and then he looks at himself as if to say, what am I doing? I'm the wild man here. Like I do stuff and then think about it later, all for the sake of my faith because I believe that strongly in him. I'm just going to swim to shore. I'm in a perfectly good boat surrounded by friends. It won't take that long, but I'm just going to jump in and swim because ready, fire, aim. Here I go. Peter was able to realize who he was again. 
And all the disciples were able to see themselves again through the eyes of the one that they had followed for three years. So they once again were reunited with who God had created them to be as a result of the small act. Number three, there's also this moment in which they turned their pity into a party. Now, not pity party, that's a bad thing, but they turned their pity into a party. They're out there sulking on the water, thinking, thinking, I don't know what's going to go on. I don't know what we're going to do next. We don't have purpose. We don't have direction. We can't even fish. Everything around us has fallen apart. And we're feeling a weight and a heaviness, a disappointment that we haven't felt in a long time. And then once this little act of faith is taken and they recognize Jesus and they come to grips with what am I doing and who am I? Who is this person I've turned into? That's not the person that God has called me to be. They find themselves moments later on the shore in Jesus' presence, hanging out, talking, having a meal together, just like old times again, connecting again. And they've had this little moment. They got this exciting time. They've found their joy again. And for many of you, you've lost your joy and you're looking for this grand miraculous moment where God just infuses it back into your life. And maybe as we move forward, we're going to see that it's not really something large and spectacular that needs to happen. It might just be a small, small step of obedience. So their joy is there as their pity turned into a party. And then fourth, um, there's a sense of renewal. They return to their calling. Jesus had said, I want to make you fishers of men. Leave everything and follow me. They had done that. And then after he was gone, they kind of abandoned everything. And yet through all of this, it changed and they got back at it again. And they began to fulfill their calling once again. Now, we don't have all of this in Scripture. But if you study outside of the Bible, meaning historical documents and things that happened a couple thousand years ago and the history of the church and history of people, Here's what you'll find about those who were fishing that day. Thomas, after this encounter, went on to Iran where he began to preach and tell people about Jesus. And then on into India before he was speared to death by some of those who did not like him making so many waves where they were. Simon preached in Jordan and Britain before being crucified and then ultimately sewn in half. Philip preached in Turkey and Egypt before being impaled on iron hooks and left as an example in the middle of his streets. Matthew went to Ethiopia and told people about Jesus before being staked to the ground and left to die there. Jude found time to write the book of Jude, then he went to Turkey and he preached before being crucified in Iran. James was beheaded in Palestine alongside an accuser who changed his mind as they were going out to be executed and he became a follower of Jesus and decided to die with James right next to him. Nathaniel preached in Iraq, Iran, Ethiopia, and Arabia, and India before being skinned alive and crucified in Armenia. Andrew was tied to a cross in Greece, on which he died two days later. And then Peter, who started this whole fishing expedition, was crucified in Rome upside down at his own request. All of those men laid it all down and gave it up to make waves, to change lives. And now 2,000 years later, we're remembering their stories. And there are people all over the globe that could trace their family tree back to one moment where one of these men came to their country and said, Jesus is alive, and this is the Messiah, and this is what this means, and this is how you are to follow him. 
and made ways that changed the world forever. Now, we look back at their lives and think, well, that's a far cry from a bunch of guys in a boat, discouraged and frustrated and disappointed. What happened? One small thing happened. They just moved their net to the other side of the boat. So what is it about small acts that make make them so powerful? Because we know, ultimately, you don't fish on another side of a boat and change change the world. But what is it about the small act that is so powerful? I want to give you three things about these small acts of faith. Number one, every act of faith, no matter how small, is an expression of trust. No matter how small the act, every single act of faith is an expression of trust. It's me acknowledging God's authority, saying, I'm going to do this because you've asked me. And because you have the right to ask me, because you have the authority to ask me, because you're the creator and I'm the creation and I don't have a right to challenge you on this. And if you tell me that this is how you're honored in relationships and this is how I'm going to relate to people, if you're telling me this is how you're honored and how I interact with the people around me, that this is how I'm going to interact. If you're telling me this is how you want me to honor you in my home or honor you with my finances, then I'm not going to argue with me. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. It's an expression of trust, no matter how small the act actually is. It's me saying, God, I trust you enough to obey you even when I don't understand you. And that is significant. And God always responds to that. Number two, every act of faith, no matter how small, is a demonstration of humility. It's me acknowledging God's wisdom might be a little greater than my own, and God's plan might be a little more than my own, and maybe I don't know as much as I thought I knew, so I'm going to choose to humble myself, to sit back and say, God, I have a strategy, but if you think yours is better, then I'm going to follow yours, no matter how small an act it actually might be. And then third, every act of faith, no matter how small, is a call for strength. It's me calling out to God saying, I'm going to need your help here, God. I need you to move in my life. I need this. And I don't know if you figured this out already or not, but those of you who are followers of Jesus, you're perceiving things and seeing life in a way that those around you do not see it. And sometimes you might even wonder, why is it that this bothers me so much and yet he doesn't seem to be bothered at all? Why is it that every time I hang out with her, I come home, I do the same thing she does, I can't sleep, and she just sleeps like a baby? Because when God did a work in you, he placed his spirit within you. And that Holy Spirit is working on you, and it is changing you, and it is transforming you into the image of Jesus, and it's not going to let you go. And you're having some thoughts, and you're having some questions that no one else around you might be processing because you don't belong to them. You belong to him. And so things are a little different for you. And so understand that when you wake up in the morning and think, ah, is this something that's going to honor God? That is a very unnatural thought. That's a reminder that God is not finished with you yet. And if you're actually going to be able to do the things he's put in front of you, you're going to need his power. and You're going to need his strength. You're going to need to rely on him every day to say, God, I need you to fill me up And give me the strength I need to be able to do what I need to do. I don't have the boldness and courage on my own. I need that from you. Now, speaking about the Holy Spirit, most of you know that wind creates waves. When wind hits the water, waves are formed. And then the waves begin to grow. And the longer they're allowed to grow without having anything in front of them, the bigger they become. They find a way to ultimately transform 
the landscape of the earth with their power and their strength, but it all starts with wind. And you can sit on a beach with no wind at all and still see waves coming and wonder, where are they coming from? Because somewhere way, way out there, wind hit that water and it just began to grow and grow and grow and grow. And that's what you and I have an opportunity to do, to look at our lives and say, what could I do right now to begin something that's ultimately going to transform lives way, way, way down the road? I wish I could look back into my family tree and know the stories around everyone. Uh, my son's actually getting interested in that, and he's gotten on a few of the online ancestry things. He's followed some, some uh, rabbit trails, if you will, back. And I just got to confess this. I truthfully, on my father's side, we found a Griswold, and that explains so much. It was like the first time I opened the Bible. I was like, ah, I get it now. Like, okay. It, may, it means so much. I understand. We found the Griswold beginning, and it's somewhere in my side of the family. So I get it. But we're tracing things back. And when I think about Father's Day and I think about making these waves, somewhere way back in the history of our family, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know his name. He probably wasn't the Griswold guy, but someone else stepped up and said, family, enough's enough. I've given my heart to Jesus, and this family is going to be different. And I don't know that he had any idea what was going to happen, but that ultimately affected some kids living in that home. And one or more of those kids went out and did the same thing with his family. And then hundreds of years later, I'm standing here convinced, absolutely convinced, that this is God's word, and this has transformed my life, and this is our only hope. And I really could find that wave beginning way back then, somewhere in that family tree where some man said, enough is enough, my family is going to be different. And you have that opportunity now, regardless of what your tree has told you up until this point, regardless of what was passed down to you or what wasn't passed down to you, you have a chance to say, starting right now, things are going to be different. And that small decision is a ripple that can begin a wave that ultimately will transform generations after you. And one day, people will be in a place like this looking back, and they will say, who in the world was, and they'll insert your name. I wonder what he ever did. I wonder what she ever did. And little will they realize it was that change, it was that decision, it was that small step of faith that changed everything for that individual and for all those in between. So I want to ask you this morning, what is... The one smallest thing you could do right now that could make the biggest change in your future. You say, well, let's not keep the bar so low. The smallest thing, I mean, it is God. We want to give him the best. Well, if we were all into doing that, we would have already done it, but we haven't. So let's start with something small. What is the one smallest thing I could do right now to have the biggest impact? And I don't want to just think selfishly on this. I mean, thinking beyond ourselves. For some of you, that one small thing is just to eliminate something from your lifestyle right now. Because this for you is real. And earlier we were singing about Jesus, and you weren't faking it. You're not trying to, to put up a front. That's, it's real to some extent in your heart. But you also have a real life out there. And God has placed you in a place to be able to shine where other people, including me, can't shine. And the people around you are watching and they're conflicted 
because they see this part of you, but they also see this one element and can't figure it out. Which one is the real you? Which one's the real her? Which one is the real him? And all you've got to do is eliminate that one thing. Be willing to say, God, I don't even think it's that wrong. I've got total freedom. I sleep like a baby every night. But if this part of my life is keeping other people from believing what I know is true in my heart, then I'll let go. I'll let go of that. I'll let go of that thing, that habit, that word, that, that relationship, whatever that thing is. If it's that big a deal, and if it's keeping people from seeing you, then I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to stumble. I don't want to cause others to stumble in that way. So maybe it's just to eliminate one thing so that other people will have reason to believe that this God that you worship today is actually desiring to be their God as well. Or maybe for others of you, it's just one thing to begin, one discipline, one action. Uh, Maybe for you, you've never done it before, but just beginning to get up 20 minutes earlier, get alone in your house every single day and say, God, before I do anything else, I want to hear from you. I want you to hear from me, and I want you to align me with what you have for me. You say, well, Chad, you don't know my day. I, I got to hit the ground running. I'm not like you. I've got stuff I got to do. I got to get up, or I'm, I just, I'm not awake in the morning. I've tried to pray sometimes. I fall asleep. That's just not me. Well, if your boss texts you in the next 10 minutes right now while you're finishing up the service and says, I need you in an hour early tomorrow, are you going to text back? I'm just not a morning person. I apologize, but I've... No, you just, you make it happen. You make it happen. And for some of you, the one thing that you need to add to your life is just an awareness of God's presence to begin that day with him. You say, well, that doesn't seem like a very big thing to do. That's just it. Some of you are needing joy and you're needing peace. You're needing reconciliation. You're needing direction in your life. And you're waiting on God to say, step into the water and I'll part the sea for you. And instead, God's just saying, just fish on the right side of the boat. Just do this. Just do this one little thing. And let me create a wave that you won't even dream of. Or maybe you are a dad here today and you're ready to receive your gifts or your time or whatever it is you want from your family. Or maybe just to be alone. Most dads, uh, my gift today, Mother's Day, bring me people. Father's Day, take people away. Like, give me my own time. Maybe you're time today, if you're a dad, maybe you just need to turn to your family and say, let me give you a gift. I've never tried because I've been afraid of failing, but I'm going to be a godly dad. I'm going to figure out what this means if it kills me. So be patient with me, but accept that as my gift to you on Father's Day. I'm not going to get it right, and you may need to remind me of the gift I gave you from time to time, but I'm going to do this little thing here. And see how it changes the direction from our family or for me or for, for you, whatever the case may be. Just a small thing. What is the smallest thing that you can do today that will have the biggest impact on your tomorrow? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for doing great things with small beginnings. And God, it's difficult at times for us to know what it is you have planned and what it is you have in store. And we're hoping it's big and we're hoping it's grand and we're hoping it's going to change the world. And perhaps the only thing between where we are and changing the world is being willing just to add one or two small things to our lives 
but just to eliminate one or two small things. And from our perspective up until today, maybe we felt like we're in the boat looking out thinking, this is ridiculous. This is not a big deal. And yet it is going to be the big deal that changes everything for us. So God, all those little suggestions and all those little impulses and those little Holy Spirit naggings that you've given us through the years that we set aside because we were holding out for something bigger, maybe we need to go back and take a look at those today and give a little more credit there and see the heaviness and the weight of some of those things you've asked us to do. God, if our pride and stubbornness keeps us from being willing to put the net on the other side, we're never going to see you work and move through us. You're really clear throughout the entire history of you interacting with your people that you oppose pride. You hate it. And God, when we're full of pride, you just move on to someone else. So God, help us with our humility to be willing to say, I'll do this small thing. And Father, for anyone in this place, whether a father, a mother, a child, who has never said yes to you, I pray that today, this day, this Sunday, would be the day that they surrendered to you and said, I'm ready to come home. And God, if that's the case, help us to be the kind of church to help them, uh, encourage them, push them, and lead them as they begin their new journey with you. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your patience. And we ask you to call us in the deep waters. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.